Having a healthy, abundant, affordable food supply is vital to our world, and the times we are in are putting pressure on growers across the globe. We're about to visit with experts on two of America's most ubiquitous fruits about what growers are facing and what may lie ahead. Welcome to Redox Grows, an in-depth look at key issues affecting agriculture. I'm your host, Jim Morris, with Redox Bionutrients in Burley, Idaho. I've worked with farmers and ranchers for more than 30 years to help tell their stories, and that's a great passion and honor in my life. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow the program and tell your friends and colleagues. I am grateful to speak with Dan Griffith from Washington State, an expert on apples, America's most popular fruit. A graduate of Washington State University, Dan is a crop horticultural advisor at GS Long in Yakima and a critical source of information from the research community to the farming community, among many other things. Thanks so much for your time, Dan. You bet. Please tell me about your work, your responsibilities, and your goals. Well, at GS Long, I'm a crop advisor uh, in tree fruits, and uh, throughout the year, we'll visit our growers on a weekly basis, on a quad, we check the blocks on a quad, go back to the truck, which is our, essentially our office. From there, we make recommendations. We email them, we print them. And on these recommendations, there's all kinds of legalities and how to use things and when to do it and what to do it with and so forth. So you have a very important role in the whole process. What does a quad offer you when you're in an orchard? What were you able to do that you couldn't do with walking? I imagine it's a time saver for one thing. Yeah, you can see a lot more of the orchard's acreages with a quad, which is a motorcycle. When I started in the 80s, a lot of the blocks were smaller, and we'd walk them while they've gotten so large over the years. You have to be able to see a lot of it, and you can't do it without a quad. A little background on the Washington apple industry. Its annual economic impact, $7.5 billion. Washington State grows about two-thirds of America's apple crop. Annual production at about 2.5 million tons, so a critical crop in America. And Dan, you have more than 40 years of experience helping apple production, and you won the Silver Apple Award, I believe, in 2017. Can you talk about how significantly the apple industry has changed since you started the job? It has changed a lot. When I started, it wasn't uncommon for orchards to be planted 20 feet by 20 feet, which is about 100 trees an acre. Today, it's not uncommon for orchards to be planted 5 by 10 feet or even 2 by 12 feet, which is 1,800 trees an acre. So uh, there's somewhere between 1,000 and 1,800 trees an acre. It's very common today. The rootstocks have changed. They're more productive Costs have changed. It costs a lot more up front, but you come into production a lot quicker with these uh, more intense plantings. And so everything has become more intense, less room for error. And I imagine that's pretty much true for agriculture far and wide. You have to continue to be more efficient, and any way you can do it, it's uh, very much what you need to do, I suspect. How much is uh, higher efficiency, higher production, just getting more out of your land, how much does that enter into the picture for the apple industry? Oh, it's everything. The more bins you can produce per acre, the less cost you have per bin. Northwest Farm Credit, the major lender in tree fruits in the Pacific Northwest, at a horse show a couple of years ago, showed the same grower that picks 60 bins an acre versus 90 bins an acre. 
of Gala. His block that picked 90 bins an acre, his cost per bin was $43 a bin less because so many of the other costs are fixed per acre. So being able to get a good yield is so important to keep your cost per bin down. There is more risk in agriculture seemingly all the time. So do you feel your job is even more important now than it was 40 years ago? Very much so. There's more pressure on uh, consultants, on managers to perform. There's lots of risk, such as alternation, which can cost growers so much money, which means uh, it doesn't, uh, block doesn't come back very well the next year. So we're very involved in alternation management and nutrition because there are lots of nutrition issues also. It's interesting, too. I've seen organic and conventional rice and some other organic and conventional crops. Just a different management style altogether, right, depending on the type of growing method that you have? The pesticides uh, many, many years ago used to be quite harsh. Over the years, they've become softer and softer and softer to where there's not a huge difference now between conventionally farmed apples and organically farmed apples. You work with Redox and Jasmine Baird, our agronomist. How does Redox potentially fit into the equation when you look at higher efficiency, environmentally friendly, sustainable, things of that nature? Redox has a very powerful line of products in the uh, current area of nutrition we're in now. Uh, the focus is on uh, the microbiological activity of soil to where 20, 30, 40 years ago, no one talked about it, no one cared about it. But the more biologically active it can be, it's more efficient, better for the crop, provides better nutrients to the tree, uh, allows us to use less products per acre, less tons of uh, fertilizer per acre, and we're all in, under a lot of pressure to do less and try to do things more sustainably. You mentioned about the soil. Also, I know one of our agronomists, Jeff Yoder, talks about the roots are so critical, too. Do a lot of growers understand that you need proper soil, healthy soil, healthy roots, strong roots to get the most out of your crop? Do you think that's something that's resonating with the growing community? I think it is. Each year, uh, more and more so. Uh, just recently, Washington State University hired a nutritionist whose specialty is the uh, soil fauna, the microbiological activity of the soil. And that never used to be researched, and now it's heavily researched. I'm happy to hear that. A few questions from a consumer perspective, if you don't mind. So Americans eat about 16 pounds of fresh apples every year. The red delicious apple fascinates me. I saw plenty of them when I was going to school. Uh, is it still one of the more popular varieties grown in Washington State, or has there been a shift in that? The shift is happening, but it still is a major player along with the uh, galas. The Red Delicious, we heard its reputation over picking it too soft and shipping soft apples to the consumers for so many years. But there's so many other varieties now, so many club varieties uh, to choose from. When someone goes to the store, generally there's quite a few options. Well, club varieties are privately owned varieties frequently by a sales desk. A grower has to sign contracts and pay commissions for the right to uh, produce them. And there's something in the vicinity of 40 or 50 of them right now. So a lot of them aren't going to make it. Varieties you'll see on the store shelves that are club varieties that are going to make it. Envy is one. A very good apple came, came out of New Zealand. Quite a few others. We, we just don't know if they'll make it. The store shelves can only... Uh, hold so many varieties of apples. That's a, an example of one that's made it, that's very good. 
Uh, Jazz is one, also out of New Zealand. It's probably made it for the long run, but uh, there's a number of them that are on the fence that we we just don't know if the uh, major stores are going to keep them long term. Some varieties that aren't club apples that are going away, uh, Brayburn's, Tart Heart Apple probably are going away. Red Delicious are in the decline. Personally, I'm surprised we're still selling a lot of them. I wanted to ask you about WA38 Cosmic Crisp. I brought one in, so that's <laughs> so it's a podcast, but yet I still had to bring in a visual example. I love. I bought that at Walmart. I love that fruit. Very firm, very sweet. It's a cross, I believe, of Enterprise and Honey Crisp varieties. Tell me about the strengths of that apple, and is it taking off in Washington? I believe it was developed a couple of decades ago. It's a wonderful apple. It's been managed as far as how many acres could go into the ground initially. A lot of acres are in the ground. It eats really well. It's crispy, juicy, stores well. There's been some problems with it, some calcium problems uh, we're facing, which tend to happen with bigger apples. Younger trees produce bigger apples, and frequently you'll see huge cosmic crisp on the store shelf. But it's here to stay, and the quality is going to get better as the trees get older. And Yeah, I think it's a really good apple. How do you describe the relative ease or difficulty of growing the Cosmic Crisp? One unique thing is we don't have to chemical thin it. It drops on its own, which is unique. So it seems to come back every year with a bloom, which is a good thing. It's pretty grower-friendly in terms of filling the space. It tends to grow horizontally more than it wants to grow vertically, but we can deal with that. We're still learning more with it, but there's going to be a lot of them on the store shelves. How has the current season been for apples? I believe a lot of some of the varieties have been harvested as we speak. There are some still to come as we get closer to winter. And how has the year been, generally speaking? This was a record year in terms of a late cold spring, uh, one of the latest springs on record, which means varieties get picked later in the season. Something unique, the earliest blooming apple is the Pink Lady, and it picks the latest It'll pick into November. The problem is this year, it's even going to be later. And if it freezes on the tree too many times, it's just not pickable. And uh, most growers that have been farming pink ladies over the past 10 years have, have lost significant portions of their crop uh, a couple of times. That'll be one to keep an eye on. I do like that vibrant pink color. I've seen some of the orchards growing in the San Joaquin Valley of California. How... Important is it to be vigilant in terms of new challenges, new threats to the industry in general for our population? I think about the pandemic, and that has certainly changed life for many, many people. And I know that there can be introduced pests and disease. So do you see it, uh, the vigilance as being really critical to maintaining a healthy apple industry in the state? This year we've had uh, remarkably one of the smallest crops we'll see probably in our lifetimes. Uh, due to the cold spring, a lot of uh, blossoms didn't fertilize just because some of them had snow on them. It's just unheard of. They're predicting uh, 108 million pack boxes. We don't we don't think there's 100 million, and uh, there could easily be 140, 150 next year. So we won't see a crop this small again. Uh, the challenges next year will be to make sure we get the crop to come back the following year. And then along with all these varieties, all these club varieties, not all of them are going to make it. And um, growers take quite a risk when they plant them. 
I have the utmost respect for growers. It is not an easy profession, to say the least. You can do many things right, one thing goes wrong, and then there can be real challenges for the production. You attended the Redox Masterclass. How helpful is that in terms of gaining expertise? You've been at this a long time, but you're still a student, it sounds like, always trying to soak up more and learn more. Yeah, I think in any profession, you never quit learning. With a master class, it, it helps me on uh, soil fertility and the microbiological activity of the soil and how we're feeding the microbes, which are so important, uh, with uh, soluble humus, which is soluble carbon. I use a lot of their products in fertigation, where we're injecting through the drip systems on young orchards and uh, a lot of their products fullerly to improve, out, improve apple um, quality, such as their calciums. The bionutrient, biostimulant area, I hear a lot of discussion on that. Do you think that the, the buzz on that and the popularity will grow as time goes on? Absolutely. Uh, that's just another case of uh, a healthy soil is a live soil. Some of the biostimulants uh, we use uh, do help. I use some of their products. Uh, one is Dermaplex, uh, which is a product that helps soil a lot besides the rest of their product line. You've been at this for four decades plus. What level of satisfaction do you have that you are contributing to this very vital industry in America? I enjoy what I do. I help farmers farm. And I don't have to go to an office uh, unless I want to in the in the wintertime. My truck is my office, and for seven months out of the year, I'm on a rigid schedule visiting the same grower each day, each week. Over the many years, there's more challenges. We're under more pressure to perform to help the grower uh, maintain profitability. And you never quit learning. It's just something I've enjoyed. I really appreciate your time today. Oh, you bet. I have the good fortune to visit with Brad Harper, who, with his father Dave, grow blueberries at Harper Berry Farms in Michigan. Thanks for your time, Brad. Yeah, anytime. Glad to be here. Your family's grown blueberries since the late 1980s. Michigan is one of the top producers of this fruit in the U.S. Can you provide a little background on your farm location and history? Yeah, my dad started the farm um, about 30 years ago now, and we are located uh, kind of on the northwest side of Michigan, along Lake Michigan there. We're really close to the lake, which is a good growing region, especially for the blueberries. And it's been definitely uh, kind of passed down through generations, which is neat. I don't have much experience in Michigan. I was at Super Bowl Forty. The outcome was not to my liking. Uh, it was very cold in Detroit back in 2006, so I know the winters can be very cold. Does that affect the blueberries? Tell me about the seasonality of the crop and how they deal with the climate, or even if they have to, maybe later in the year, the climate's just perfect for them. Yeah, for the most part, the climate is just about perfect. I mean, we have uh, higher humidity than normal, which does help, can lead to some disease issues. But overall, it's a lot cooler of summers in a lot of areas and because we're right next to the lake we're actually a lot warmer in the winter than a lot of the state which really helps but overall there's not too much to worry about uh you can get some winter damage being that far north where we are but for the most part it, it is a, a really great growing area for that and in doing some research i see that your family is committed to sustainability when did that approach start and what does it look like for your specific operation it kind of all started where it was like we knew we could do more, trying to look at ways where we could be more efficient. 
raise our yields, have better quality, and just kind of try to push the envelope. And we're still looking at the same approach now, um, keep trying to get better. We run trials every year, just kind of looking at stuff a little more in depth and, and see how we can get better. So from a family perspective, your father had this operation and now you're taking more of the reins. Is that right? Yeah. When we started using the Redox, I guess that 10 or 11 years ago, I was still kind of working for him. And in the last few years, I, I took it over and just kind of running everything on my own now. Tell me about the Redox Bionutrients products that you use and how they help. Yeah, when we started, we actually, uh, I sat down with Eric and he drew up a program of what he wanted me to do. I split my farm in half. Uh, we just had a conventional trial where it was grower standard on one half, Redox on the other half. Uh, the first year we, we seen a little bit, but nothing great, but being a perennial crop, it was something that we really wanted to, you know, put it to the test for a couple of years. And we were halfway through the second year when we dropped our grower standard and just went completely with redox because at that point in time, the yield, uh, overall bush health, I mean, everything was almost night and day difference. And we're to the point now where we've reduced our conventional inputs by a ton. I mean, fungicides we've reduced, overall nitrogen inputs we've reduced. We don't use any granular whatsoever now. And it's it's really changed the game on not only how, how we farm, but our, our results as well. And you referred to Eric Massey, Redox Agronomist. When you're talking about the different products, what are some of the names that you're utilizing? We're kind of throwing the kitchen sink at it, but we wanted to completely replace the conventional inputs, I guess. So, you know, normally guys are using anywhere from 5 to 20 different products trying to cover their basis uh, as far as all the nutrients goes. So we're looking at H85 and Rutex, RootRx, um, Mainstay Calcium on the ground, and then a lot of the foliar products, we use DICAP, uh, Love Our Oxycommon Supreme, Triplex Micro as well. So, I mean, we, we really do go down the line and, and utilize all those and fit those in where we can really get a good result from that application. So tell me about how your yields have changed and also the berry quality. In Michigan, the average yield per acre is 4,200 pounds, and that's according to MSU. I believe it's 42. It's really close to that. And when we started, we were, you know, right around six to 8,000, which was, which was really good. And we had pretty good quality. We had some good yields. And over the course of the first, I believe it was seven or eight years, we had consistent increases in yield, which is really uh, not normal, seeing as how that's a perennial. And you normally get a, a spike in yield, and then you drop back down. And it's almost like uh, the bush had to recover. But we actually had seven or eight years in a row where we had a, a consistent increase. And we went from that six or 8,000 pounds all the way up to 16,000, roughly five or 600 um, in between there. So we were quadrupling the Michigan state average for tonnage. And we doubled ours from previously, which is impressive. And, and doing that while at the same time, being able to reduce not only, you know, fungicides, but our overall inputs as well. That is amazing. And I have a question for you about agriculture in general. It's a difficult time, uh, very volatile, prices are rising. Do you see more of a willingness in agriculture to go to different products, or will it take a little more time to get that carried out? Yeah, I think now is the time that guys are really starting to question not only what they have been doing, but what is possible just because of, you know, like you said, the market availability of products and the pricing that 
for the for the longest time it was we've been doing this for years and you know there's no need to change we can grow a decent crop uh for a decent price but now with all the stuff going on i think guys are really starting to look at other options and explore you know how can we drop our input cost or how can we raise yield how can we grow a better product because you're not you're really increasing your land or anything it's how can we get better with what we have and try to have a better ROI and I, I think right now is probably the best time for guys to really explore those options. Sustainability also includes financial health for the farmers as well. How close do you follow the international issues? We have Russia, Ukraine going on. Markets are very volatile. Is that something on growers' minds? Yes, uh, especially in the blueberries because we really fight um, imports coming from British Columbia, Peru, Mexico, the blueberry industry really suffers from those inputs. So everybody's kind of really, I guess, focused and in the know of kind of what's going on internationally and in all those issues that we face. It's something that's very important, I believe, not only to blueberry guys, but agriculture in general. So you are around blueberries all the time. Do you still like to eat them? And if so, what way do you like to enjoy them? Yeah, I, st- I still eat them. Um, that's something, I mean, we freeze a ton of them. Uh, we use them for smoothies, um, use them on our cereal, oatmeal, ice cream, uh, dehydrate some, and then actually throw a lot in the freeze dryer. I think overall, if you're eating blueberries, it's not only good for you, but helps the American farmers as well. That is certainly important, and blueberries also have the heart-healthy capabilities, which is big for consumers nowadays, so I imagine they will be more attractive than ever in supermarkets down the road. And they're also a more attractive crop. U.S. acreage has more than doubled in the last 20 years. Washington State is the nation's leading blueberry producer. So how bright is the future of blueberries from a farmer's perspective? I think overall, there's there's still something there. The imports is really what we've been struggling with. Um, not only the cost of harvest has gone up for us, and obviously fuel, all the pesticides as well, but the imports is, is probably what we've been fighting the most. But even with that being said, there's still a lot of things that we can look at that's that are positive. I also think that kind of with how many acres and, and the production that America produces that consumers really enjoy the local fruit that a, a lot of the markets are going that way, you know, eat local, buy local, and, and having that here is a big positive. Tell me a little bit about your family and your kids and whether they're being introduced to the farm and perhaps if you think that there is some hope there that they'll take on these roles later in the future. It's funny, as we're sitting there working, you know, they bring me dinner in the tractor some nights because you can't make it home, and um, they'll sit on my lap and we'll be spraying or sitting there mowing, and, and they really enjoy kind of being around the farm as a whole, you know, helping me start the irrigation. They really enjoy that, and I think that not only being able to do that now while they're little, but kind of watching them grow and, and watching them learn how to operate equipment is something that's really fun, and and I enjoy that from my perspective, but it's kind of cool seeing them because, you know, not a lot of kids get to do that either. So that's something that they can enjoy and really cherish, I hope. And being able to pass that down would be pretty cool. I love hearing that. It's so fundamental to our economy and to our food supply as well. Thanks so much for your time, Brad. Yeah, anytime. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That will wrap up this episode. Thank you to Dan Griffith and Brad Harper for their insight. 
I sure hope the new year is a good one for all of those involved in agriculture. We'll continue to work hard at Redox to do what we can to help. You can find out much more at RedoxGrows.com, where we have blogs, videos, product information, all of our podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening. 